Sometimes I use an illustration from a television show or a book or something. I don't necessarily endorse the entirety of what I'm talking about, but it is just an illustration uh, to, to hopefully illuminate the, the main point of what we're talking about today. So in this show, this British show called Fleabag, uh, the main character, she has this, this really heart-wrenching moment. She's in the confessional booth of a church. Uh, how much more on the nose can you get than that? And, and she's, she's just had this life, and this is mainly what the show portrays, really selfish decisions. Uh, she pretty much ruins every relationship that she's in with her, um, any romantic relationship, her family, people around her and her community. Um, and, and she never wants to acknowledge her, her brokenness and the effects of her selfishness. Uh, but finally she has this moment of confession and she says to the priest, I want someone to tell me what to wear every morning. I want someone to tell me what to eat, what to like, what to hate, what to rage about, what to listen to, what band to like, what to buy tickets for, what to joke about, what not to joke about. I want someone to tell me what to believe in. And his response is, kneel, kneel. And, and I think the, the life of following Jesus can really be summed up in that one word, to kneel. Uh, the, the Christian life really is one of submission, it's one of surrender, it's one of obedience. So as we continue in our series through the book of Acts, we get to see this life of submission and surrender and obedience to following Jesus played out in, in three ways, uh, through friendship in Christ, through the Lordship of Christ, and fellowship with Christ. So we're going to read Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. Uh, it's on page 930, and it will be up on the screen. Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And when he, Paul, and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to, to cause, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, it took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews... At Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nassim, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word now. You have much to show us, much to teach us, and ultimately we pray that you reveal the places in our lives where we have resisted your authority, that you would show us the places in our relationship with you and with others where we have not bowed the knee, where we have not surrendered our lives, and that you would show us through your word what it looks like to follow you in obedience as we love you and as we love others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, similar to last week, I want to do a little bit of an overview of this whole passage before we zoom in and look at some of the themes that we see play out. So, so at the end of Acts chapter 20 that we looked at last week, we, we see that the Apostle Paul is making his way toward the city of Jerusalem. He's taken many trips all around the Roman Empire. He's been declaring the gospel of Jesus. He's been planting churches, making disciples, training up leaders, and now he is heading back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem uh, is the center of the Christian world at this time. It's where the church is birthed after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul is going back to Jerusalem. He wants to report on this is what's been happening in all these churches around the Roman Empire that have been planted now. It's been several years since he's been back there. And he also wants to bring financial support from all these uh, Gentile churches. They're not, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. Paul wants to bring support from all of those churches back to the church in Jerusalem to show unity in the church and support for them because the church in Jerusalem has been experiencing a lot of persecution. People have been put in prison, people have been killed, and people have lost their livelihoods because of following Jesus. And so the worldwide church says, we're going to support you there in Jerusalem. And Paul is taking this uh, offering with him back to Jerusalem. He's got a whole crew of people with him from different churches that are all going partly to show unity, partly to be like bodyguards because they're carrying a bunch of money. And they are going mostly by boat now, making their way toward Jerusalem, visiting the churches in each city that they stop in. And so they come to the city called Tyre. They're there for a week. Then they make their way to Caesarea, where they meet up with this man named Philip uh, and the church that's there. We, we've seen Philip several times throughout the book of Acts. He's one of the seven leaders that are chosen in Acts chapter 6 to serve the church in Jerusalem. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, he's the man who... Um, uh, gets in the chariot with this Ethiopian court official and sees him come to faith in Jesus. And then he goes to this city called Caesarea. Caesarea is also the city where Peter went. You remember when Peter had this vision of all these animals coming down in a sheet? And, and Caesarea is the city really where it's kind of like the where the birthplace of the Gentile church. People that were not ethnically Jewish, Caesarea was like the doorway into the Gentile church. So this is the first place where Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's a really significant place in the life of the early church. And Philip has been in this city 
leading the church there, uh, helping send out more church planters into different places. And this is where Paul ends up on his way back to Jerusalem. It's about 70 miles away from Jerusalem. And so the story of, of Paul's journey, we need to remember that it's always part of the bigger story of what Jesus is doing through his church. Uh, Paul's a really charismatic, significant figure. The whole second half of the book of Acts is almost all about him, but, but really this isn't just Paul's story. This is God's story. This is Jesus' story to bring the good news of his salvation to the world through his church. So all along the way, uh, as Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem, we see evidence of, of the community uh, that we're brought into when we follow Jesus. It's really easy to read this passage and we think, he goes here, he goes here, he goes here, he goes here, and it's like it's just an itinerary of places that we don't know how to say the names of these cities or these people, but, but when you look a little bit under the surface, there is there's more going on here. There's relationship, there is community. So let's, let's take a look at, at what friendship looks like within the family of Jesus. Uh, friendship in Christ is, is a gift, one of the gifts of following Jesus. Um, if, you, if you came here today, you might have noticed the sign we have on the outside of the building, and it says, Gospel, Community, and Mission at the bottom of that sign, because community is one of the, the uh, values of our church. So we, we say we receive the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, we're brought into community, and we are sent out on mission. Uh, and, and for the purposes of today, I think we can, we can look at the word community and substitute it with this word friendship. When we are brought into the community of Jesus, we are given the gift of friendship. Now, I think we would all agree friendship is a nice thing. We like having friends. Uh, no, none of us want to be lonely. Um, even, if, even if you're introverted, you still want to have people in your life that you're in relationship with because friends are great. Friends are lots of fun. Uh, we can, uh, they're just people that we feel connected to. But, but when we talk about friendship within the community of Jesus, we need to recognize that it's it's more than just having people to hang out with. It's more than having people, we even use words like doing life together, these phrases that only Christians use. But it's, it's even more significant than that. Uh, the, friendship is not just filling up the space of our lives so that we are not alone. Um, friendship, we, we can view it as God's gift to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. We don't just get friendship. Uh, we, we need friendship within uh, our, within following Jesus. We absolutely need friendship. And a way that we can see this is even when we look at the perfection of creation, God makes the world. In the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see the creation of the world. The first human, Adam, has a need. For relationship with another human. His solitude was the only thing that was not good within the perfection of creation. And, and think about this. He has a, the most intimate relationship with God of any human being. And still, 
there's a lack, there's an absence in his life that is not good, and it is the relationship or the friendship with another person. Adam needed another human being to be whole, and so, so do we. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so even in the sufficiency of, of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, we need friendships in order to, to help us truly live in the way that God has made us, the way that he intends us to be. Tim Keller, he's a pastor and an author, he says, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not send, simply send you deeper into the heart of God than you ever thought you would go, or deeper into the heart of the hurting world than you ever thought you would go, but it sends you deeper into the heart of other brothers and sisters in Christ, giving you an intimacy Excuse me, an intimacy of relationships beyond anything you ever thought was possible with any other human being. And it's this intimacy with other Christians. This is what we're seeing in Paul's journey toward Jerusalem. His relationship with the, the church in, in Ephesus, the leaders there, we saw it at the end of chapter 20, with the church in Tyre, with the church in Caesarea. There's this deep intimacy that we see between Paul and the other Christians that he is with. So what does this intimacy look like? How is this friendship, this intimacy experienced, and how can we experience it? So first, I think in this passage we see that this friendship is experienced through hospitality. Hospitality is sharing our lives together, our time, our money, our space, our homes, our attention. And in four different places, just in this short passage, Paul and his whole entourage that are with him, they're invited to share in the homes and the lives of the other Christians that they meet along the way. So in the city of Tyre, um, it says that, that Paul and his companions, they had to seek out the church. They didn't know the church of Jesus there. They didn't know any of the Christians there. They had to go looking for them in order to find them, and once he finds them, he is warmly welcomed and invited into their lives. And this is a picture of what hospitality looks like. So, so if you want to be a hospitable person, it means that you have to be welcoming. It means that you have to have an openness to other people breaking into the routine and the comfort and the ease of your life, whatever that might look like, uh, it means that you have to make a sacrifice for the sake of other people. When you open up your home, when you open up your life, you don't get to call your house your sanctuary anymore, right? It's not your, it's not your place where you go to escape from other people. It becomes a place where you actually invite other people into your life. If you're familiar with the idea of what a hostel is, these are more common in Europe, than they are in North America, but a hostel is a place where travelers, right, they can stop in, they can get a meal, they can find a place to sleep along with other travelers. Now, now we may go, okay, well, I'm gonna try to, to work on that, you know, I'm gonna start making my house like a hostel. Um, not, but, but what we need to, to see is to connect this to 
life in following Jesus. It's not just like this optional thing that we're like, now I'm going to grow deeper in my relationship. I mean, hospitality is a commandment in Scripture. Romans 12, 13, 1 Peter 4, 9. It's a commandment. That this is like a normal way of life for us as we follow Jesus, that our homes, the places that we live, they become a center or a place of ministry, a place of grace, and a place of blessing where we're sharing the gifts that God has given to us with other people. Uh, there's this woman named Rosaria Butterfield. She has a book that I have not yet read. It's in my stack next to my bed, uh, but it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And I love that, that picture of, of along with following Jesus, we've received the gospel, we've received his gift, and that means that we extend grace and that gift to other people. And, and I, I love getting ready for this, thinking about the life of our church, the ways that we've seen this play out within our own church community, um, people like the Sanborns, the Mathesons, the Vanderwolves, um, Amanda, um, each of these people, I can think of specific instances where they have made sacrifices in order to welcome other people, Christians and non-Christians, into their homes at their own inconvenience. Uh, uh, taking time away from their family, uh, you know, they have a hard day at work, and then it's like, oh, everybody's coming over tonight, or someone's staying with me that, that is in need of a place to live right now. Uh, but, but to connect this to, this is, this is what the gospel looks like, in, what it looks like in our lives, because we experience biblical friendship through hospitality. Another way that we experience friendship is in Christ is through displays of emotion. Now, if you're a man here, you're starting to get a little uncomfortable uh, because we're talking about displays of emotion. Uh, but, but this is shown in this passage here uh, that, that when we see Paul, he's leaving the church in Ephesus, uh, the church in Tyre, both of these places, there are these expressions, these displays of emotion. There's tears, there's embracing, they're kneeling and praying together. The, the first verse of chapter 21, uh, it, it can be translated as it is in the NIV as, after we had torn ourselves away from them, right? Because there's, there's emotion here, there's a depth of life together, their hearts are knit together, and so to be separated feels like a tearing away. And in verse 14, when the church of Caesarea is talking to Paul and saying, we don't want you to go to Jerusalem, he says, you're breaking my heart, right? There's emotion here, there's, there's tears, there's longing, there's urgency, there's deeply felt emotions that are expressed through their life together. And I, and I think we often look at Paul as kind of an, an abrasive and uh, controversial type of a figure, maybe a little bit unlikable. And some of his writing gives us this impression because he, he often is correcting the churches and so he has to take a stern tone with them. Uh, but I think we have clear evidence here that whether it's, it's the church in Ephesus, the church in Tyre, the church in Caesarea, you know, he was with the church in Ephesus for three years. He's with the church in Tyre for one week. And the, the emotion that is expressed is the same kneeling together, embracing one another, tears. Paul 
loved the church, and the church loved Paul. And I think this is a picture of how we can express our friendship in Christ through displays of emotion. I remember one of my best friends, we had, we had lived in the same area for a couple of years, and through the normal course of life, we were moving far, far away from each other. And I remember just weeping and hugging each other. And, you know, we were both like 20. And it was like, uh, it was a really deep expression of friendship and emotion, one that I have not experienced very often. And I think this picture here is, is one of the same, that, that when we follow Jesus, we can, we can grow in friendship that, that results in a depth of emotion. It's not just people we're spending time with. It's not just people who are filling up our schedule. These are people that we love deeply. Another way that we experience friendship in Christ is through decisions or discussions that happen within community. So, so as Paul is making his way to Jerusalem, there's, there's this discussion going on between Paul and the churches. He doesn't just say, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm letting you know, but there's like a dialogue that's happening with him as he goes. And the Holy Spirit speaks through the Christian community to warn Paul, there's danger ahead for you. Uh, there's, there's, there's the possibility of imprisonment coming. And they feel that it's their right as people who belong to the community of Jesus, people who are Paul's friends because they follow Jesus together, they feel it's okay for them to urge Paul, to beg him, to plead with him, don't go to Jerusalem. In verse 12, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he says that him, even him, along with the people who had been journeying these hundreds of miles with Paul, they say, even us, we were begging Paul along with the church in Caesarea, don't go. They felt like it was their responsibility and their privilege as Paul's friends to say that he should not go, that he should not make this decision. Now, think about this in terms of today. Um, let's say you have a decision that you have to make regarding your life. It could be a relationship that you're in, something you're going to do with your education or your career, uh, some, some kind of major decision. Now, the, the default thing for us to do is maybe bounce that idea off a couple of people, and but ultimately that's our decision. Uh, but, but one of the ways that we can experience biblical friendship is to bring that decision into your Christian community, into the friends that you have uh, as you follow Jesus, and actually allow people who follow Jesus to speak into that decision, not just to validate the decision that you've made, but to speak into that decision as it is still in the process of being made, so that you're submitting yourselves to one another, which is another biblical commandment. We experience the, the gift of friendship in Christ through hospitality, through displays of emotion, and through discussing and making important decisions together. So that's, that's all great. What an awesome gift that we have. The next question, though, is how, what, what happens when the things that our friends in Jesus are saying to us, what if they conflict with the way that Jesus is leading us specifically? And this brings us to another aspect of 
submitting and surrendering our lives to Jesus, which is the lordship of Jesus, the, the lordship of Christ. And we could say that, that as friendship within the family of Jesus, it's a gift of following Jesus, but the lordship of Jesus is, is the part of submission that's the cost, right? It costs us to follow Jesus. And, and so much of what we've seen in the book of Acts has shown the cost of following Jesus, right? Imprisonment, death, persecution, you know, all the reasons that, that Paul is taking this offering to Jerusalem is because people have felt the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. They, they've lost things in their lives because they follow Jesus. When we submit our lives to Jesus, he becomes Lord, which, which means, we could say it another way, is that he becomes our master. Now, we use the word master, and that language can be problematic for us because it brings to mind abusive human relationships. It brings to mind injustices that we've seen historically that continue into the present, uh, that we've, we've either, either seen or experienced these things. And so the, even the word or the idea of a master can be really problematic for us. But, but we need to cut through some of the cultural baggage that we have. That is, it's true, it exists. So we, we can acknowledge that those things are there. But, but we need to see the clarity of what Scripture is telling us. Jesus isn't just our Savior. He's not just our friend. He is also our Lord. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's the Son of God who's ruling and reigning until he returns again to be the King of the eternal kingdom of God. That's who Jesus is. So he is the Lord. He is the Master who rules and reigns over all things. He is the King of the kingdom. He has ultimate and final authority over you and over your life. And so we must submit ourselves to him. And if we follow Jesus, if we say, I am a believer in Jesus, my faith is in, in him, that means that he always, always gets the last word in your life. Now how does this play out in Acts chapter 21? We have two conflicting wills here. Paul is going to Jerusalem, he says, because he knows it's God's will for him. Back in chapter 20, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained, compelled, bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Well, now he does know what's going to happen to him there. The church in Tyre, there's a prophetic word for him. This is what's going to happen. Uh, the Holy Spirit reveals him, you're going to suffer, you're going to be imprisoned. And then again in Caesarea, this prophet Agabus tells him the same thing. You're going to be imprisoned, you're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. So he's constrained by the Holy Spirit. He's compelled. But his brothers and sisters in Jesus are begging him, do not go. Do not go to Jerusalem. Verse 12, when we heard the prophetic word from Agabus, we and the people there urged him, begged him, pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now Paul is he's feeling the pull of two different wills here. The will 
of Jesus and the desire of his Christian brothers and sisters. And, it, and it's, of course, they don't want him to suffer. They don't want him to be in prison. He's already suffered enough, and they love, we've seen it. They love him. They have great affection for Paul. They want him to continue in his work of planting churches and, and leading the Christian community. How does Paul respond to the tension that exists between these two wills? He says, what are you doing? You're weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A New Testament scholar named Conrad Gimp, he says, when the Holy Spirit warns that something is going to go wrong, it is not necessarily the case that he is saying the attempt should not be made even if we are shown that a, a door will close, it does not necessarily mean that we should not attempt to go through it. Now, only when we follow Jesus as our Lord does that make any kind of sense, right? If you know that, that there is risk, there's a possibility of failure, right? You try to minimize that or try to eliminate risk and failure and discomfort, especially when it involves prison and, and possible death, right? We say, okay, doors closed, not going there. But when Jesus is Lord, we can know that's a strong possibility, and we can still walk through that door. And that's how Paul interprets everything that's happening on his journey to Jerusalem. He looks at these prophecies from the Holy Spirit that come through his friends. These are ways that, that God is preparing him to fulfill the mission. They're, they're preparing him for what is to come. And he doesn't shy away. He doesn't pull back from what will certainly be very uncomfortable and will probably be very dangerous. And so he says, because I follow Jesus, because he is my Lord, because he didn't turn back from Jerusalem when it was hard for him, I'm ready to go there, even though I know it's going to be difficult. I love the way that Eugene Peterson and his translation called The Message, he, he translates uh, verse 13. You're looking at this backward. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, whether arrest or murder. The issue is what the Master Jesus does through my obedience. Can't you see that? And that's the kind of heart, that's the kind of life that happens when Jesus is our Lord, when he is our master. Following Jesus means that we're given this gift of friendship, relationship, love, and it also means that we must pay the cost of, of following Jesus, his lordship. Now, how do we balance these two things out for us together? Um, some, some practical suggestions for us, hopefully. One is that in order to balance the friendship we have in Jesus and the Lordship of Jesus is, is to love people, but to love Jesus more. Now, we again, we have to let Jesus have the final word in our lives. We, If we only are looking at pleasing other people, and this is something we all experience in our relationships, we, we measure our friendships in how much other people are liking us or approving of us or accepting us in the moment that we know decisions that we make will affect the way other people look at us. 
But if we're only looking at other people for how they'll respond to us, how they will, how they will approve or disapprove of our decisions, we're going to be very tempted when that tension comes between what Jesus wants for us and what other people want for us. We're going to be tempted to disobey. We need to be reminded of what Jesus told us. No one, no one, not you, not me, can serve two masters. There can only be one master. So, so in Christian friendship, and this is one of the gifts of Christian friendship, is that we're not looking at one another and kneeling in front of each other in submission and saying, do you like the kind of life that I'm living? When we follow Jesus in our friendship in Christ is we're kneeling together before Jesus and saying, our lives are submitted to you. And that's actually the depth of our Christian friendship is not each other. It's, it's what we have in common, which is Jesus. It's following him. So we love people, but we love Jesus more next way that we can balance our friendship in Christ and the Lordship of Christ is to value input, but ultimately to follow God's will. So if you have a decision that you need to make, if there's a direction that you think your life is going to go, you do need to seek the Lord. You need to, to ask the question, what do you want me to do here? Is this what you want me to do, or is it this? Oftentimes, we have an ambition, and we just say, this is what God wants me to do, but we haven't really asked. We haven't examined it. We haven't looked at it in the light of Scripture. So we can say, don't argue with me. This is what God wants me to do. It's pretty difficult to talk with somebody who's like, this is what God wants me to do, so you don't really need to give me any input here. Uh, so, so we can be stubborn. We can be selfish uh, in our decisions and in the directions of our lives. Uh, but, but when we seek the Lord, we're saying, what does it mean for me to be faithful to you? But then, after we ask that question, we do need to seek input from our Christian community. Seek wisdom. Seek counsel. Put your decisions before the Christian community. And then weigh those things together. Uh, for Paul, this meant he had to determine. The Spirit is speaking, truly, through the church. There's no question that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the churches along the way, but, but he has to weigh what they're saying, the interpretation of what they're saying. Because, uh, and, and John Stott, he's another New Testament scholar, he says, we can, we can say that the warning of the Holy Spirit was divine, but the urging was human. And this is difficult, right? To say, the Spirit is speaking through the church, but the way that they're interpreting what the Spirit is saying is incorrect. Or it's wrong. The, the, the warning was divine, but the urging to not put himself in the way of danger was human. So, so we can do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, to weigh or test what is said. Uh, test the spirits is what it says in 1 John. So we have to weigh those things in light of what the scriptures say, in light of uh, of what God is telling us, and, and, and then we have to make our decision there. And, and it's lovely and it's wonderful when everything lines up, right? Like the Lord is leading us this way, the Christian community is with me, it lines up with Scripture, that's great, but so much of our life is not like that, right? We're going, I don't know, there's like three different things that, that we could do here. We can balance our friendship 
in, our, in the Lordship of Jesus. We love people, but we love Jesus more. We value input. We follow God's will. And lastly, is to remember that there's something worse than dying. There's something worse than failure. Um, it's, it's not really living. We, we saw this a couple weeks ago and Dave preached here. He, he said, remember this verse that, that to live is Christ. To die is gain, right? That's a win-win. When, when Jesus is our Lord, if we live, it's for him. And if we die, we're with him. So that's a win-win for us. So there's something worse than, than losing our life. It's not living for Jesus until he decides that it's time for us to be with him. So when we follow Jesus, we're given this gift of friendship. We have, to, we have to remember that we follow him as Lord, so there's going to be a cost when we have to submit and surrender to him. And finally, when we follow Jesus, we have the gift of fellowship with him. And, and you might have noticed this as we, as we lived along, as we followed Paul on his way to Jerusalem. You see the similarities between, between what's happening here and, and what was happening in the life of Jesus as he made his way toward Jerusalem, where he was going to be arrested, where he was going to be tried and beaten and ultimately crucified. And if you, if you line up the ends of the Gospel accounts, if you line up the last uh, ten chapters or so of Acts, we, we can see so many parallels here between Jesus and between Paul. And, and it helps us to look back at Jesus when it came time for Jesus to pay the cost for living within the will of the Father, what did he say? Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And ultimately, this is the heart of the community that's with Paul, his friends. Even though they have begged him and urged him not to go, Verse 14 in Acts 21 says, Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So whatever happens, no matter the challenges or the difficulties, Jesus is guiding everything according to his purposes, according to his plans. And once this surrender happens, right, once the submission happens, we say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, there can be this commitment, right? This steadfastness in obedience. We saw it in, in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 9, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He committed himself. Uh, he set his face like a flint, was the prophecy from from Isaiah, and this ultimately is the heart of Paul and the churches together, verse 15 of Acts 21. After these days, of all the tension they experienced, and the prophecies, and the begging, and the pleading for him not to go, finally their commitment to the will of Jesus, after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. They, they followed through, they were steadfast in their calling. And so we always need to be looking to Jesus. When we think about our life and submission and surrender, what it looks like to have friends and relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, what it means to have Jesus 
as Lord, we ultimately need to be looking to Jesus and say, you submitted to the will of the Father. And so because you did that, I can submit my life to you without fear of what will happen to me because I'm just following you in the way that you went. And because you, Jesus, because you were faithful, because you were steadfast, I can be faithful as I follow you. And that's, that's the life of belonging to Jesus, of following Him, is that, that we share everything with Him. That's what it means to have fellowship with Him. We share in the righteousness of His life. He's, we're perfect because of Jesus' perfect life. We share in His suffering, in His death. We, we participate in that. We don't have to die for our sins, but we have to die to our old life. And we share in the victory of his resurrection. We share in the freedom and the newness of life that we have in Jesus. And, and I'll close with, with a line from a hymn that we sing often in Christ alone. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful truth that that we are yours and you are ours because you bought us with the precious blood of Christ. Thank you for your great sacrifice, Jesus, to bring us into your family. Thank you that, uh, that because of your sacrifice we have true friendship and true relationship with others where we can, we can submit one to another. And because of what you've done, Jesus, we can submit our lives to you without fear of what will happen, what could be taken away, because you've given us everything in you. And I pray that you would help us as a church and as a community to, to display this life following you, that we would really uh, knit our lives together in Christ, and that we would really kneel and surrender before you, that you would always have the last word in our lives and in our community. Pray you'll bless us as we continue to respond and as you show the places in our lives where we need to confess, where we need to repent, and where we need to turn back to you once again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.